welcome to Sip Sip Hooray, the podcast for people who like wine, want to learn more about it, and may feel ready to break out of their comfort zone and try some new wines. And speaking of wine exploration, Sip Sip Hooray recently had the incredible opportunity to travel to Brazil to learn about the Brazilian wine country and its delicious offerings. Well, it's a long story, but at the last minute, I was unable to make the journey, but my partner, Mary Orlin, went along and had a fantastic time. And I guess this is as good a time as any to say we are the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin, and I was so bummed for you, Mary B., when you called to say that you couldn't go. Honestly, you were bummed. I was devastated. I'm sure, I know. <laughs> well, you, you were greatly missed by everyone. Um, we were invited by Apex Brazil, which is an organization that oversees a lot of the agri- oversees and promotes the um, agricultural products of Brazil, of which wine is one of them. And when I was telling people I'm going to Brazil, the most common response I got was, Brazil makes wine. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we haven't really heard much about Brazilian wines because it's available only in a limited amount here in the United States. And it's not something you see on wine lists or at wine bars. But um, part of the reason the folks at Apex Brazil and Wines of Brazil invited us was to um, help get the word out that Brazil's got not only a thriving wine industry, but the wines are darn good. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, and affordable. And affordable. So I would say one of the biggest surprises for me was discovering just how good the sparkling wines are. I mean, I'd never had a Brazilian wine before we touched down in Sao Paulo after a long flight from Dallas. And um, it was in the morning and we had a very long layover to our next flight that would take us into the southern part of Brazil, which is where most of the wine region is. There are some in the north, but the majority of the wine regions are in the south. And so we're in the airport lounge like, well, it's in the morning, but hey, let's have some sparkling wine. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning, Brazil. We're here. (laughs) So me and the five other journalists on the trip, you know, toasted with some some rosé sparkling and it was delicious it was dry and was made the same way that champagne's made and that just started a journey of discovery for me and for the rest of us so i was very you know i the the wine part of the wine country we were in was the um Gocha, which is the first um dio or Demonacion de origine um, that was established in Brazil. So there's some really great quality wines coming out of that region. Um, and um, that's where I met our guest today, Mauricio Roloff. Um, our, on our first full day, we um, visited a winery called Miolo, and we had a wonderful in-depth masterclass about Brazilian wines from Mauricio. So when I got back, I thought the first thing we should do to tell our listeners about Brazilian wines is have a Brazil 101 class, and Mauricio is the perfect person to do it. So Mauricio, we are thrilled that you are joining us from Brazil via, via Zoom. 
I uh, wish we could have done this in person, but um, <laughs> this is the next best thing. So welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. Yeah. Hi. Hi guys, how are you? Hi, Mauricio, welcome. And uh, thank you for taking the time out to teach us about Brazilian wine. I think until now, I thought of Brazil's main beverage as the, what is it, the Caparina or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> so I want Mauricio, you to teach us about everything we need to know about Brazilian wine and why you love it so much. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. Yeah, we're so glad you could do this. We'd like to get to know you a little bit, Mauricio. Can you tell us about yourself and your background in wine? Uh, yes. Uh, well, actually, uh, I started on the wine industry. I'm, I'm a journalist and uh, I, I started in, in the wine industry uh, as an economy editor in a newspaper. I used to work on. Uh, it was right on the Brazilian wine country. And the thing is, as an economy editor, uh, we were uh, frequently talking about uh, numbers on Brazilian wine. So yeah. we were talking about uh, how much it costs and exports and the price on the grapes every year and things like that. And at some point, I thought no one is talking about the quality of, of Brazilian wine, or at least not here uh, in our newspaper. So I decided to start to uh, study a little bit uh, about wine and, and to taste a little better. Uh, it, it was definitely something I liked, but didn't feel very uh, secure, very uh I mean, uh, I wasn't sure I could taste like so many. <laughs> I know the did. feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've had that same fear a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to start studying. And since then, I'm studying wine. Uh, you know how it is. Once you start, there's nothing enough. Uh, there's never enough studying to do. It's true. Mm -hmm. It just so, sucks you in. You never yeah. stop learning. You yeah. never stop learning. Yes. And that's one of the many things that are very charming about wine, right? Because yes. there's something something else to learn. But that was um, that was almost 20 years ago. And since then, uh, well, uh, I, after some time studying wine uh, and falling in love with it, I just decided that I should uh, make wine my main occupation. So uh, I quit my job in the newspaper and started working with the Brazilian Wine Institute. Uh, and then uh, got to be a part of the industry, promoting Brazilian wine and 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 talking about the quality and of course uh, visiting different regions so now uh, uh, I can say I know and I visited every single winemaking region in Brazil but uh, again there's uh, Brazil is it's a very uh, how can you say that a very uh, dynamic industry so next week I'm going in a trip again to visit one more uh, winemaking region in Brazil, uh, in the center of Brazil. Uh, 
because there there's something new coming up over there so i want to check it out so uh there's there's been like this for the last 20 years and at some point i just uh, uh started teaching about wine as a wine educator uh and then that became my main occupation right now nowadays well you do a really good job at educating people because i learned so much during your master class at miolo winery which is for people who um may be planning to go to brazil definitely you must go there because it's absolutely beautiful um, they have this wonderful wine garden. Um, the, you know, they treated us like royalty. We had this amazing spread of food, and we tried all the sparklings and wines. And I have to say, I was so impressed with the quality that you were talking about. That you know, why not the focus on that? So I'm so glad, Maurizio, that that's one of your focuses. Um, so. Mary, could you back us up and tell people who are curious about where the Brazilian wine country is, where you fly into, how do you get there? Like, Yeah, so coming from the United States, at least the way our trip was set up, my journey started out of the Palm Springs airport, but all of us converged in Dallas, and then we flew um, from Dallas into Sao Paulo, and then we had a layover that included that lovely sparkling wine in the airport lounge I mentioned earlier. Yes. <laughs> but then um, no, I know. Then we took a connecting flight to a small to the southern part of Brazil um, in the um, Rio Grande do Sul and which is um, close to the Uruguay border. Um, we flew into Caicos do Sul and then we took a 45 minute bus ride to Bento Gonzalez, which is kind of like the gateway to um, a lot of the southern Brazilian wine country. And um, it's certainly the gateway to a region called Vinos dos, um, um, Valle dos Vinos. And um, that's where all the wineries that we visited were located. But um, Mauricio, you said you've been to every wine region in the country. So how many wine regions are there? How many have you visited? And I also want you to talk about the new one in central Brazil, because, you know, you might think all the wine regions are in southern Brazil, but that's not true, right? Yeah, well, uh, there are six main wine regions in Brazil, and four of them are in the state of Rio Grande do Sul, where you've been. Uh, but you You've been to the, 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 the main one, I mean, uh, Serra Gaúcha, the Serra Gaúcha region, it's uh, responsible for making around 85, 80% of all Brazilian wine. So if you want to really get to know Brazilian wine, that's where you should be, the Serra Gaúcha region. But then whenever we're talking about uh, consolidated wine regions, then we have six. Then we're talking also about the Campus de Cima da Serra, that, and that's uh, a little bit up to the north of the Serra Gaúcha region. And it's really, really lovely with beautiful landscapes. Um, then you have Serra do Sudeste, that's right in the center of the Rio Grande do Sul region. And by the border with Uruguay and Argentina, you have Campania, 
So uh, only in the state of Rio Grande do Sul, you can find four major wine regions in Brazil. Then if you move up one state up north, you have in the state of Santa Catarina, a region that is that is called Planalto Catarinense with really beautiful, beautiful whites, mainly whites and sparkling wines. They do have great reds as well, but I really think that some of the best whites in Brazil comes from this region. And then uh, right on the north of Brazil, and we're talking really, really north, uh, those regions in the south, we're talking about parallel 27, 26, 30, 31. Um, and then you have Vale do San Francisco, and that's parallel 8. That's right close to the equator line. And that's something new. That's something very, uh, that's awesome for wine lovers because it's really something else. Um, in, uh, it's the biggest tropical vineyard in the world. And through irrigation and controlling the seasons, you can uh, you can have the vineyards in the four seasons at the same day. I this mean, is what blew my mind. And I think yeah. for all the other journalists who were in the room when you were telling us this is part of your master class, like, what? You can have... What does that even mean? Four yeah. seasons in yeah. one vineyard. There's a song, Four well, Seasons in One Day by Crowded House yeah. that I love. But um, tell me about the vineyard version of this. Okay. Uh, the thing is, this is a semi-arid uh, region in Brazil, so it's always summer, okay? So in natural conditions, uh, a vine would be producing grapes all year long. But uh, at some point, for fine wines, for good wines, the vine must go into dormancy at some point, right? Right. So uh, through... Through the use of uh, phytohormones and through the use of irrigation, whenever you want the vine to go into dormancy, you just cut the water out. And then the vine understands it's time to rest a little bit and get some energy together for the next season. So although it's hot out there, the vine goes into winter. Hmm. So whenever you want... Uh, the buds to start popping up again you just turn the water on and use uh, those fetal hormones that will get the vine going for the next harvest so then you have spring so then comes summer it's harvest time and then you cut the water again and then you have fall and winter again but the thing is since you can control the seasons through irrigation, you don't have, you do not have to uh, make it happen in the vineyard at the same time. So you can have one plot where summer, you can have another plot where it's winter, another one with spring, another one with fall. So if you're in the crossroads between four plots, if you're lucky enough, you can see the four seasons of one of the whole vine cycle in just one day at the same time so and, it's um, really amazing yeah. 
part of your class, you showed us a photo, an aerial photo of that, and I will post that on, in our show notes um, on our website for this episode, because it's really crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. I wonder if that technique will be more widely used going forward, you know, when you talk about the climate changes and things and, and how... Um, how wine growers respond to changing climate if they can you know help the seasons in the vineyard if they can manipulate timing of the seasons and stuff it might be really helpful yeah yeah no doubt uh i mean uh, regions where it's usually warm where it's very very warm uh surely can benefit from from this technique and i think that uh we're going to be seeing more of this Mostly because the quality of the wines are uh, proving that it's it's worth to invest in something like that. Well, we had two of the um, these wines that were harvested in the winter. Uh, they were two different Syrahs, and they were both really delicious. And you know, in a blind tasting, I, you know, if you had told me, you know, pick out the one that was harvested in the winter versus the fall or summer, I would have like you know not been able to do that. Um, so. I'm wondering, um, Maurizio, can you tell us about how many wineries are now operating in Brazil and what the important grape varieties are? Yeah, I was curious about that too. If someone wanted to know what wines is Brazil most known for, what would they be? Yeah, well, uh, uh, talking about the size of the industry, uh, for those who are not uh, familiar with Brazilian wine, sometimes it's quite surprising because uh, we have over 1,100 wineries in Brazil and they're widespread. I mean, um, I talked about six main wine regions, but that's the thing. In the center of Brazil, there's uh, some emerging wine regions coming up and one of them is the one I'm going to visit next week. Uh, and the thing is, uh, there's always something new about Brazilian wine. So uh, around 11, uh, 1,100 wineries in Brazil and uh, producing different styles of wine. But no doubt, sparkling wine, it's a, 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 a must taste when we're talking about Brazilian wine. So and how does what is what makes uh, Brazilian sparkling wine so special? How do you guys get it so so right? Uh, well, as I said before, the Serra Gaúcha region is responsible for around 80 percent of all Brazilian wine. And in this region, we have a natural acidity uh, on the wines. Even reds are very, very refreshing. But this high acidity is very important for uh, sparkling and, and whites. I mean, it's the backbone of any great sparkling wine in the world. So uh, we're producing high quality, classic uh, sparkling wine grapes. So very high quality Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And, and actually the, the area of those two grapes is growing very uh, fast in Brazil, uh, along the the last ten years, uh, the 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 area of Pinot Noir grew over five hundred percent, and and we do have great uh, steel Pinot Noir, but uh, most of the Pinot Noir uh, grown in Brazil is destined for sparkling wines. So wow. this high acidity with the high quality of the grapes. 
uh, in both uh, traditional or Sharma method uh, with a very nice blend of technology and tradition uh, make Brazilian wine, Brazilian sparkling wine, uh, such a surprise for 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 people who is drinking for the first time. Well, you sent us a beautiful bottle of sparkling from a producer called Casa Valduga, which was one of the wineries we visited during our trip, and it is absolutely beautiful and um, they make lots and lots of sparklings at various um, levels of um, aging and tirage um, but this one that um, we have is um, what they're calling their surly nature bronco and um, surly means that it's been the wine has been aging on the dead yeast cells for 30 months, and um, it's just, it, it is a blend of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, but as you were saying, Mauricio, it's very fresh, the acid's really great, but it's got this lovely creamy, yeasty, baked bread character to it as well. And this is made in the traditional method of champagne. Yes, and that's a uh, uh, sparkling wine style that uh, just uh, uh, fell into the the uh, graces of the Brazilian drinkers. Um, and I'm actually pouring uh, a sip right now. <laughs> cheers! To, uh, cheers to you. I have to admit, mine's yeah. gone. I shared it with. Um, oh, really? I shared it with some girlfriends at a book club and uh, it was a big hit. Everyone loved it. It was their first time tasting Brazilian wine and certainly Brazilian sparkling. And everyone thought it was just really delicious and just loved the, um, oh, the, the brightness and yet the combo combination of kind of bright and yet creamy as well. It was so nice. Really yeah, well because balanced. This, because uh, uh, as I said, Brazil has a long tradition on the sparkling wines. Uh, we've been producing it over 100 years. And in 2013, we celebrated 100 years of sparkling wine in Brazil. That's amazing, because uh, I think you know, people don't realize that the Brazilian wine industry dates back that far. Yeah. Right? Where have we been? Like, why? Yeah, exactly. What have we, we've been missing out for we've so been under long. Some kind of, yeah, big old rock here. Anyway, go on. <laughs> and, and, but that's uh, most of the sparkling wine. I mean, most of uh, the, uh, the high, very renowned sparkling wines in Brazil are from traditional methods. So like champagne, right? Uh, they're made just like champagne. Uh, but this style uh, is growing fast into the market, and this is surly, so it's uh, it, it, it is sold in contact with the yeasts. So uh, to make sparkling wine, uh, one of the last uh, uh, parts of the production is the the gorgement, right? Is taking the yeasts out of the bottle. Yes, which so, we call disgorgement. Yes. And this uh, this style, this specific style of uh, sparkling wine, it's sold with the yeast. So I'm looking at the glass ah, right now, okay. and it's not 100% clear because uh, there's some kind of cloud inside the glass. 
but uh, it doesn't look bad at all. It's still very shiny, very uh, bright, uh, sparkling wine. But when you taste it, you can really taste the yeasts. So although the acidity is high, it's very fresh, very refreshing, as Mary said. At the same time, uh, it's very, uh, it's full of flavor. Mm-hmm. The mouthfeel, it's different because it's more creamy because of the yeast. So, uh, I mean, this is not uh, this is not a major style of sparkling wine in Brazil. It's not, uh, we cannot say it's one of the most popular or anything like that. But it's just one of the examples of how the Brazilian wine industry is dynamic. Because uh, whenever people are, oh, let's try something different. Let's try something new. And then people come up with something like that. And and uh, you just blink and there's a, a couple of wineries going into that direction and, and it becomes something. It becomes a trend or something like that. So um, there's always something new about Brazilian wine. Well, I, and that's so fascinating. And um, could you touch a little bit upon the history of the Brazilian wine and how it came to be? Yeah, uh, well, the first vines came to brazil in 1532 oh wow so um brazil was a portuguese colony back then and brazil but the thing is brazil was discovered in in uh, in the 1500 and then only 32 years later the first vines came into brazil <laughs> but uh they arrived in the center of Brazil, where uh, the the terroir, and, and that's the region that is emerging right now. But uh, five hundred years ago, the terroir w- just wasn't right uh, because the seasons were not so defined, were not so sharp uh, in between one and another. So uh, a lot of things happen in between, but uh, the Brazilian wine industry really uh, got uh, organized when Italian immigrants came to Brazil, uh, and that was uh, from 1875 on. So uh, that's a big landmark for Brazilian wine industry, the, the, the arrival of those Italian immigrants, most because they had uh, techniques for grape growing, uh, many of them came to the south of Brazil, and all the good land was already taken by uh, by Germans and Portuguese. So uh, they had to go to the Serra Gaúcha region, and and uh, they were kind of forced to go to the Serra Gaúcha region. But and that's a high altitude region. So whenever they they were climbing up, they were just discovering a more suitable terroir for grape growing and most of all uh, besides having the techniques and having the vines they brought into their suitcases and things like that mm-hmm. but most of it they had the wine culture mm-hmm. into their day after day so they needed wine just for drinking just for working and for religious celebrations and then and then uh, 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 an industry of wine started to get organized in Brazil. Great. What is the oldest winery in Brazil? Do you know? Well, uh, probably Salton. Uh, okay. It was 
Yeah, it's around 150 years now. I would say that something uh, around 140, 100, 150 years now. Uh, but many of those most well-known wineries in Brazil uh, have roots around the same uh, time. So um, that's that's about it. I mean, we were, we celebrated um, 100 years of sparkling wine almost 10 years ago. And I would say that most of the wineries now are, uh, well, most of the well-known wineries in Brazil are becoming centenary uh, around those uh, last five and next five years, something yeah. like that. Oh, sure. And, and the wine tourism industry continues to grow in Brazil, am I right? Yes, and, and that is something that Mary mentioned before. And, in the, and if Mary came to Brazil like 10 years ago and, and was taken into the the trip to know Brazilian wines and, and the wineries and vineyards and everything, uh, she probably wouldn't have so many options of things to do. I mean, you would do a walk around the, the, the winery and maybe go through the vineyards and have uh, go through the barrels, have a little tasting. And that was about it. In the last 10 or 15 years, um, uh, really new things came into the wine tourism sector in Brazil. So we have wine gardens and picnics, and now you can do harvest. And I mean, right now we're in harvest time in Brazil, and there's a lot of tourists uh, working on the vineyards. That's awesome. <laughs> with, uh, yeah, because- uh, Mary, we just have to know, go back for the harvest. Yes, we do. Yeah, you should. <laughs> You should, because you guys would have a lot of fun. Um, and now uh, you have like, there's even a couple of wineries offering things like night harvests. So you can do harvests at night for, uh, <laughs> for you know, white wines and sparkling wines. Um, there's, uh, I don't know, uh, many, many options of wine tourism today. And for us, uh, wine tourism is very, very important. Because even in Brazil, there's a lot of people that don't know the high quality of Brazilian wines. Mm -hmm. So whenever people come to regions like the Serra Gaúcha, uh, well, they drink good wines, they uh, eat good food, they, uh, they get to know nice people, um, they, they are being, uh, they're being hosted by nice hotels and and, and visiting uh, beautiful landscapes. So uh, whenever people come to the wine country in Brazil, no doubt uh, they're surprised and they take uh, along the word about how high is the quality of Brazilian wine nowadays. And that's a very different scenario from tw uh, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, uh, we would understand someone who would drink Brazilian wine and say, okay, uh, it's not, a, it's okay, but it's not very competitive internationally, for example. Mm -hmm. And now uh, we're sure we're, the, 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 if you, if we could put it on a graph, you would be very clear the the ascension of quality of Brazilian wines 
in the last 30 years. Wow. Absolutely. And um, you mentioned um, the tourism and so um, I want to get back to a little bit on Casa Valduga, one of the places we spent some time at. Um, they were established in 1875. Can you give just give us a very brief story about their history? Because um, a woman plays a large role in this, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, uh, they were uh, one of the most well-known wineries in Brazil. Uh, they're uh, back from 1875, yes. And uh, as many wineries in Brazil, they started uh, growing grapes and making wines for the for family consumption. And then started to trade among uh, neighbors and, and got well known for the quality. And then from generation to generation, they started... Uh, uh, I mean, growing the reputation on winemaking. Uh, nowadays, they have the largest uh, 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 cave, uh, the, the space where the uh, sparkling wines go into uh, for, for maturation. Uh, it's the largest on Latin America. Uh, it's one of the best well-known wineries in Brazil. And they they are present in different regions in Brazil. So their headquarters is in the Bento Gonçalves city. Bento Gonçalves, we can call it the wine capital in Brazil. Okay. Uh, so their headquarters is in the uh, city of Bento Gonçalves, but they're present in different regions as well with uh, vineyards. So whenever you taste... Uh, uh, labels from from the the Casa uh, Balduga winery, mm -hmm. you can sure taste different terroirs from Brazil, and that's I, very interesting. I love that too that you uh, can taste Brazil in the glass that there's a distinctive flavor there. Yeah, uh, I mean this uh, high acidity, this uh, freshness. Uh, um, and I mean, if you go to the Campania region uh, that is close to Argentina, Uruguay, you get bolder wines, but still more elegant wines. I mean, uh, no doubt Brazil is part of the new world of wine, but many, many times uh, we have uh, an identification with the old world. Because uh, most of the wines are moderate in alcohol and and more elegant, if I can say. So uh, many, many times we're more identified with the old world. I mean, European wines. Sure. That, and that's one thing that kind of surprised me, especially coming from California, where we have some wines, especially on the red side, that are in the um, stratosphere when it comes to alcohol. I, re <laughs> I really appreciated having the lower ABV al alcohol by volume wines that are typically around, I believe it's 12 to 13%. Um, yeah. That was very nice. I love and, that and too. And I mean, we do have some 15, 15 and a half alcohol content wines, but they're not like, it's not the average uh, product 
uh, we have in our shelves. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the second wine you've sent us, which is also from Casa Valduga, which, and by the way, um, I will post the wines that we've tasted on our show page. And we are tasting wines that everybody in the U.S. can find. Um, they are available in this country. So um, this is Pinot Noir. And yes. um, let's talk about that because, you know, um, it's an up, I think, you know, you said a lot of the um, Pinot and Chardonnay grapes go into sparkling wine production, but here's a nice example of a still Pinot Noir. Beautiful. Yes. Uh, well, I'd, I'd love to hear your comments on the Pinot Noir, because as I said, um, uh, it's not hard to find still Pinot Noir in Brazil, but most of it is uh, driven into the sparkling wine production. But this one I really love because I think it shows uh, the the. I mean, the, the, the balance you expect from good Pinot Noir, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, that, yeah, the, the kind of, it was the soft tannins, but there's a nice balance of fruit and acid. It was lovely. I really enjoyed that, you know. I really like it because it's, um, it's fruity, but it's also kind of earthy. And um, it's got a, also um, an herbalness to it. I, you know, I got notes of mint and black licorice and, um, but it's um, it's delightful. And what's interesting to me is that um, there's other reds that are far more are higher in production than Pinot Noir. But um, and I'd like to talk about that because um, there's one red in particular, Merlot, that is kind of the flagship, if I'm not mistaken. So I'd like to talk about how that came to be and um, where you see Pinot Noir. Is it going to be? You know, do you think more wineries will start doing still Pinot based on the results of some what Casa Valduga is doing? Yeah, um, I do believe so. I mean, this Pinot Noir, uh, it goes through oak for eight months, and that's uh, French oak. And uh, so you get those round tannins, but it's not oaky at all you have a lot of fruit and, oh, yeah there's uh, I, I i would have thought this is you know it's probably neutral oak because i don't get that oak character yeah uh i don't have it in the in the in the specifics here if it's first use or second use yeah I, but i, I do believe that. it's second or third use oak because uh, there's a lot of fruit on it and it's very fresh and this comes from the campania region oh okay uh, yeah uh this pinot noir comes from the campania region and and this is the warmest uh, region for winemaking in the state of rio grande do sul mm. that's close to argentina and uruguay and that's the warmest region during harvest time but uh still is 12.5 percent alcohol right and with a lot of fruit and if you just keep it cool for like i don't know 10 15 minutes into the fridge uh it's very easy to drink it's uh very uh refreshing and very flexible with food because of the acidity i love that pop yeah. it in the fridge for 10 15. yes yeah yeah um that's the kind of wine that uh deserves a little bit of just a just a, a couple of minutes 
into the fridge just to cool it off a little bit. And because uh, you uh, cooling it a little bit, you don't lose any sense of the fruit, mm -hmm. but still get, uh, but at the same time, get uh, this freshness going uh, with those strawberries and, and, and raspberries. So really love this. Yes. So and, let's talk about Merlot. How did it become oh, yes. kind of the flagship? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, that um around 1980 19 and the early 1990s the most planted uh, red grape in brazil uh we're talking about fine grapes right uh right. vitis vinifera grapes mm -hmm. but the most planted uh vitis vinifera red grape in brazil was cabernet franc and uh at some point with the French paradox, uh, when people started to uh, drive in attention to Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, uh, uh, Brazil adapted its vineyards to grow more of those two Bordeaux grapes, right? But the thing is, uh, the Serra Gaúcha region, uh, it is, uh, because of the weather, because of the altitude, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, that is the most popular red grape in the world, uh, uh, it, it depends a lot on the harvest. Mm -hmm. So in good years, Cabernet Sauvignon from Serra Gaúcha, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But whenever you don't have a lot of sun or whenever you have rain, uh, that comes uh, before February, March. If those, uh, if that rain comes a little bit earlier, Cabernet Sauvignon don't have time to mature to mm -hmm. ripen mm -hmm. the way it should. The thing is, Merlot is an early uh, grape, ah. so uh, it doesn't suffer like that with rain, and it's more reliable in the Serra Gaúcha region. So producers started to pay attention to Merlot and see that it was a very reliable red grape with uh, high potential, this high, na this natural high acidity. So there's a kind of a specific style of Merlot in Brazil that is this uh, lighter on alcohol uh, with a peak of acidity, uh, very easy to drink Merlot. And uh, internationally, uh, in the international uh, scenario, having Merlot as a flagship grape is not bad because not, I mean, a lot of countries grow and crush excellent Merlot. I sure. mean, the U.S. So, have so, great yeah. Merlot. We do. So Argentina I have to, excuse yes. me, I do have to ask you though. So the movie Sideways, are you familiar with that? Yes. So yes. did it have an impact on the Merlot in Brazil? Well, not not like in the U.S. market. Oh. <laughs> Thank goodness but for yeah. that, right? Well, you yes. know, Merlot, I think Merlot yeah. is really uh, food friendly, which leads me to my next question, which is when you're when you talk about pairing Brazilian wine with foods, what do you love to pair? What are some dishes that really um, bring out the best of your Brazilian wines, Mauricio? 
Well, uh, well, that's that's a tough question. Just to point a favorite, it's it's kind of hard. Uh, Brazilian, the Brazilian cuisine is very. Uh, uh, it, it varies a lot from region to region. I mean, it's very different along the country because Brazil is a big country, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, um, whenever you're on a trip to Brazil and you cross a state border, you're going to try and eat something different. And uh, But uh, I do have some favorites. So, uh, and most of them are, are connected to white wines and sparkling wines. Mm -hmm. Because uh, as, a, as a wine educator, as a, a wine pairing researcher, uh, I really think that acidity, most of any characteristic of uh, of that a wine can uh, offer, acidity it's uh, uh, very important for wine pairing. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can use those lovely white wines from the Planalto Catarinense region, for instance, uh, paired with. Uh, uh, seafood for instance i mean brazil have a very long coast and uh, we do have a lot of seafood dishes so uh, we can have uh, sauvignon blanc uh, with oysters for instance we can have with muqueca that's kind of a fish soup that is very very bold uh, it's a more uh, strong uh, dish so uh, I really love the, the flexibility of those wines. And even for uh, stronger dishes, like uh, some flagships from Brazil, like our barbecue, right? Like- uh, The churrasco. Yeah, that uh, right? the churrasco. Yes, churrasco. that was great. <laughs> and, and you guys probably know it by the Brazilian steakhouses, right? uh present in the u.s market do you but, have those uh, do, is that really authentic or is that just an american <laughs> no that's authentic it oh, is. we do have it a is. restaurants yeah. like that in brazil yes oh, okay yes. okay i was wondering and speaking no, of no, some that... of those those restaurants are great places to find brazilian wines you know that yes that... uh and and again uh i went to the u.s uh, first time promoting Brazilian wines, uh, maybe 15 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago. And I was in a round trip with Ivan Goldstein. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, he's a friend of yeah. ours. Yes. <laughs> and he's great. And he's yeah, great. He and I was just uh, going around with him to, to Washington, D.C., and New York, and San Francisco, and, and, and Chicago. So we've been around. And and I remember that we went to a couple of Brazilian steakhouses back then, and it kind of made me sad because uh, uh, it was very common to find on those restaurants Brazilian food with Argentinian wine. Yeah. So and, and that 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 for me that I was in the U.S. promoting Brazilian wine, and at the mm -hmm. same time in the Brazilian restaurants finding Argentinian wine. Uh, yeah. I know that nowadays uh, you go to a Brazilian restaurant in the U.S., you 
probably find a couple of uh, Brazilian wines you can taste. So, and if you, you're tasting Brazilian meat, I would say uh, give it a try on Brazilian sparkling wine because of the acidity, the effervescence, uh, this is uh, this uh, very creamy mouthfeel. And it's so refreshing. I really think it works great with uh, Brazilian barbecue. Hey, that's a great tip because that's not what people would generally lean toward. The traditional is to go with some sort of red with your with your meat. So that's awesome. I love that sparkling wine with your Brazilian meat. Yeah, yeah. yeah really, so, really and, that leads, and that leads me to how people can find Brazilian wines here in the United States. I know that, you know, a lot of what we had is was um, some of it was available, and um, as I mentioned earlier, the wines from Casa Valduga, not everything they produce, but some are available in the States, and Miolo, the winery where you and I met, um, so you can find some of their wines here. But how how available is um, the Brazilian wines in the United States, and um, you know, what's being done to increase that um, availability? Yeah, uh, well, that's that's a work in progress. Uh, as you know, um, the U.S. market, of course, uh, it's a major uh, target for Brazilian wines. Uh, and it's the biggest wine consumption country in the world. So every single Brazilian uh, winery uh, have a focus on the U.S. market. Uh, the thing is, as you know, uh, sometimes the distribution in the U.S. is kind of difficult, right? Right. Uh, uh, so um, I'm not sure today uh, what's the volume that is being exported to to the U.S., but uh, I know that it's in the top three countries Brazil exports to, and uh, brands like Salton, like uh, Casa Valduga, like Miolo, those major uh, wineries from Brazil, those most well-known wineries in Brazil, mm -hmm. uh, are present in some states of the U.S. But uh, I know, too, that some small wineries like Tenuta Fopa in Ambrosio, like Pisato. So small wineries are also making their ways into Brazil, into the U.S. Uh, in the last few months, actually. Uh, right. I and Tenuta Fopia in Ambrosio, um, Lucas Fopa from that winery will be our guest um, in a within a few months or so, we will be talking to him about his smaller winery, but that um, he just got his export license to bring in Brazilian wines because he also has um, a winery project in Napa Valley. Yes, and that's uh, that's great news because uh, those those guys are really creative uh, when it comes to winemaking. Uh, they they have. Uh, amazing wines and and uh, not their wines are not obvious at all i really love the wines uh, yeah. i had the chance to to i was in in london uh and and dublin last year uh mm -hmm. promoting brazilian wines nice. and had the chance to present those wines uh into those markets and they they were very well uh reception by yeah. by the public yeah it was yeah. really great that's well, right. and, you know, Mary Orland has spoken about 
uh, the fact that Brazilian wines are, are a relative bargain. You know, you get really high quality and the price points are very approachable. Yeah, the thing is uh, something that the Brazilian wine industry doesn't want is to be known as exotic wines, you know, mm -hmm. because exotic wines are the kind of thing you taste once and then you cross it from your wine book <laughs> and you say, oh, no, I, I tasted that already and I'm ready to move on. Right. Uh, and and the thing about the price, yes, yeah, sometimes people don't feel like it. Oh, uh, why should I uh, uh, buy this bottle? In, uh, from Brazil that I, that I never never tasted before uh, instead of something that I already know, something more traditional. Uh, well, uh, in those kind of situations, the price is very important because, I mean, people don't want to risk with high uh, value bottles exactly. yeah. for the first time. So, uh, yes, but I'm sure that if people give it a try and 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 for a, a fair price uh, they'll see the quality we can offer uh, uh i'm sure people will try a second or a third and a fourth bottle of brazilian wine wonderful so you know you've given us so many good reasons for people to try brazilian wines and and visit the brazilian wine country uh, and you said you've come here. When you think about, have you gone to Napa Valley? And, and yeah. Done, okay. So when you compare like a Napa experience to a Brazil experience, it sounds to me like some of the stuff you described, it's um, very, not only are the price points approachable, but that the wine region is approachable. Would people have experiences with winemakers? What do, what do they you know, what does it look like going through the Brazilian wine country? Like when you guys on this tour, Mary, what was that like for you guys? Well, Mary B, there's even a wine train in oh. the um, Val de Vinhedos. Um, it's not exactly like the Napa Valley wine train, but um, it's, it's actually a very distinct experience because um, you're not so much taking the train through the vineyards, but you do see the rolling hills and how lush and green everything is but um, they have performers on the train and so they're singing traditional Brazilian folk songs there's um, a bunch of Italian songs that they sing because of the Italian immigrants and the, that history um, you, you do get to sample some wines and also they have some beers and other things on the train but it's a very um, social experience actually everybody's singing and clapping and well, i love uh, it yes yeah, so that was a lot of fun and we saw some um some of the really nice um hotel properties where they have spas and and things like that okay and, um, so that sounds familiar to the napa valley sort of scene right yeah and there's some really good restaurants we we went to a bunch of italian restaurants and i have to say the brazilian wines and italian food especially the pastas and there's this one soup i i don't know the name mauricio it's the one where you have the tiny little tort tortellinis and broth oh yeah uh, well, uh, that's a very common uh, dish over the Sahagosha region, but that's yeah. the capelechi. Okay. And, and uh, it's delicious. Then yeah. you, you'll probably taste that in the, uh, in different restaurants here in the Sahagosha yeah. region. Yes, and every every place we had it at was slightly different, so that was kind of fun. 
But um, yeah, so but I think um, Mauricio, um, do you see um, you know more um, hotels and spas and you know places with different amenities and activities um, for people that are being um, starting to happen more and more in this region? Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, it's hard to compare with the Napa Valley. Uh, I mean, I love the Napa Valley. I've been there uh, twice or, or three times. Um, and, and really, for me, it's like the wine tourism is cool uh, in the world. I mean, you can find uh, uh, very small wineries where you'll be, uh, uh, where you'll, you'll meet the winemaker or the owner of the, of the winery. And at the same time, you have those uh, very big wineries where they resemble a, a amusement park for wine lovers, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, True. But I, I, I really think that in Brazil, um, with the new generation of, of the families, uh, I mean, the new generation of uh, administrators of the wineries that have that international experience. They've been to Napa Valley, they've been to Europe, they've been to uh, Australia to learn about wine, to learn about wine tourism and things like that. Uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, the, the wine industry is realizing how important wine tourism is. I really think that the options, as I said before, are growing fast and with more quality. Uh, but the thing is, in Brazil, it's still more common to be uh, uh, in touch directly with the winemaker or uh, the, the owner of the winery. And that's just because the wine industry is, in Brazil is mainly formed by small family business. So, of course, that uh, we, we do have bigger wineries, some are bigger, some are smaller, but we do not have those uh, extraordinarily big wineries, like uh, very, very big international brands. Uh, they're still uh, family-ran uh, business, so it's more common to, to get to know the winemaker, uh, get to know uh the people who are really involved with uh the business and and, and that's something charming for the tourists right because uh, you, you do want to have the real experience you do have to uh you do, you do want to get in touch with the people responsible for the wines so uh, i think that's more common in brazil uh, uh but it's just because of the size of the industry. I mean, absolutely. Well, we were so Sipsipere was so grateful for the opportunity to get to travel to Brazil. I'm so sorry I missed it, but you've given me so many reasons to want to go to give it another shot later. Um, and I hope that we've told our listeners some some key things that uh, pique their interest about Brazilian wine. But we've tasted it's elegant, it's fresh, fruity, really well balanced whether a red or some of the delicious whites, the bubbles, you have a lot to offer. And it sounds like Brazilian wine country is certainly worth the journey. It is. It's a long journey from the U.S., but, you know, by the time you get there and you take your first sip of bubbly, 
you forget about that long trip. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I will say it's, um, you know, this is just a taste of what Brazil has to offer. And um, I encourage all of our listeners to follow Mauricio. And Mauricio, you can tell us how folks can follow you. Um, you can also follow Wines of Brazil on Instagram. They do a tremendous amount of posts and education, which is terrific. And um, start asking for Brazilian wines when you go to your local wine shop or wine bar or restaurant, because one way that people will start bringing it in is if we start asking for it um, and create, creating the demand. And yeah. I'm telling you, I mean, we didn't even touch on Cabernet Franc, which was the biggest surprise, a wonderful surprise for me and some other things. It's just, it's um and the chardonnays are terrific i mean there's brazil has lots to offer and you know in our wine culture we're always looking for what's new what's different so you know brazil should be the it wine in the u.s right now let's make it happen mary all right let's let's, <laughs> let's get it to start trending hashtag brazil wines it's great to hear that i mean uh, it's one thing to to hear uh, something like that from from Brazilian uh, wine drinkers uh, and that have uh, a natural familiarity with the wines. Uh, and another thing is to hear that uh, that sort of thing from uh, white uh, wine uh, uh, specialists <laughs> like you guys. So yes, uh, we do have surprises to offer. Uh, you guys uh, are certainly invited to come back to Brazil and marry uh, Babbitt. You should come for the first time and and have fun with the wines. I mean, uh, sometimes uh, for us, the thing is to bring uh, that Brazility, uh, that sense of Brazil that that always evokes things like uh, samba and, and and other kinds of uh, happy songs and music and and all the the coast and the beaches and and the good food and soccer and things like that but brazil is uh, internationally known for a country that likes to have fun and we try to get that sense into every single bottle of wine uh, we put out in the market so it's oh, great I to hear that. you guys uh, uh, making compliments about the wines because uh, we we put some great effort into into every single bottle I love oh. that and, and you bring the fun too that's awesome Absolutely. And, you know, we could talk for hours about the Brazilian music. I got some really good soundtracks, um, or, um, playlists for, um, of Brazilian wines uh, for that accompany Brazilian wines, I should say. And, you know, I love the Bossa Nova, but, um, you know, everything is, there's so much to Brazil, the whole culture. And um, that's really fun to see. It was really fun to learn about, and I, want, I would love to explore it more. Well, Mauricio, thank you so much for joining us. Is Mauricio Roloff? Tell us again how we can find you on Instagram or how we follow you. Yes, uh, uh, you guys can find me on Instagram uh, with at Mauroloff. Uh, it's M A U R O L O W F, and yeah, you should follow uh, Wines of Brazil. 
to get uh, to know more about Brazilian wines. And, and that's it. Uh, whenever people want to get the conversation going uh, about Brazilian wine, uh, just reach me and I'll be glad to, to uh, uh, get the conversation going to chat about Brazilian wine. Well, thank you again for joining us. We've so enjoyed talking with you and getting to know you better and also Brazilian wines as well. Mauricio, thank how do you we so say, much. Mauricio, how do we say cheers in Brazilian or Spanish? Oh, yeah, well, we would cheer. say um, uh, more commonly, saúde. Saúde, it means health, but it's a way to say cheers, just saúde. And I, and I meant to say Portuguese, not yeah. Spanish, sorry. <laughs> I was going to correct you, but okay. Sauge, is that it? Did I get Sauge? it right? Yeah, that, was, that is good. That is good. Well, sauge to you, Mauricio, and uh, sip, sip, hooray. Yes, sauge and cheers. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for having me and, and uh, hope to uh, get to uh, meet you guys again soon. All right. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mary B, that was a great masterclass on an introduction to Brazilian wine. There's a lot to learn, and it's uh, I love the fact that Brazilian wine is approachable, it is affordable, and it is fun, as and well delicious. as delicious. Yeah. And delicious, yeah. Can't leave that out. Um, no, I think um, people will be pleasantly surprised the first time that they try a Brazilian wine. And, um, you know, I hope that they can... Um, begin importing more of the wines into this country. Um, we will certainly give other wines from South America run for their money. Um, you know, of course, Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, they all produce fantastic wines. So, but there's always room for more. Particularly a wine region that's over a hundred years old. Unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, I will be posting some extra information on our show page. Um, as I said, I'll post that photo that shows a vineyard in four different seasons at the yeah. same time. Um, I'll post some information about their wine train and um, the region that we were in and the wineries we visited on our trip. Um, as well as Mauricio's Instagram handle, Wines of Brazil, all that good stuff. Perfect. And the wines that we tasted too. You know what? Oh, we didn't even talk about the Tanat. So we have, um, we had a third wine from Casa Valduga, Tanat, T-A-N-N-A-T. It's not a wine a lot of Americans are familiar with, but um, it's a variety that is French. Um, it was it used to be widely planted in Bordeaux. Um, but those plantains are very, very small. Um, you find um, it now very widely planted in Uruguay, but also in Brazil. It's a very rich, full-bodied style. It can be very tannic, but um, Mauricio was talking about the freshness and the acidity, and you get that in the, this tannat, and um, it balances those heavier tannins, and um, it's a savory and fruity wine with lots of dark, dark fruit, like even some fig, but it has a lot of savory notes of sage and thyme, but so 
um, but look for it. Ask for a tenet from Brazil, and maybe you'll start seeing more of it in this country. Right. I'm excited that the wines that we received are all widely available in the U.S. So look for Brazilian wines, and I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And I will list all the the other wines that you that are more widely available in this country on our show page, and you can find that at sipsipharaypodcast.com. Of course, we're also on social media, both Instagram and Facebook. We are Sip Sip Hooray Podcast. And we want to thank all of you for listening. If you like our show, please share it with your friends, rate us, help us get the word out and grow our audience. And we so appreciate, we love what we're doing and we appreciate that you guys are, are joining us for the journey. Yes. And if you can um, give us a review too, that always helps. Um, especially if you um, listen to us on iTunes or through Spotify. Um, Anything that helps um, get the word out about us will also help people discover things like Brazilian wine. Absolutely. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Sip, Sip, Hooray. Cheers, Mary Orlin, until we get to do this again next time. Cheers, Mary B. Sip, Sip, Hooray. Hooray.